So if you have your Bible this morning, open to Romans chapter 6. And last week we began to talk about how it is that we can kill persistent sins. All of us struggle with things. If we're just honest, right, we struggle with things. Uh, maybe for you it's anger. Maybe for you it's, uh, uh, it's greed or materialism. Maybe for you it's bitterness or unforgiveness. Maybe, uh, maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe a thousand different things. And we struggle with these persistent sins. We have prayed about these things. We have made promises about these things. Yet they linger in our, in our lives and we're frustrated by that. And we wonder, what is the answer biblically? How can I overcome persistent sins? And so we've set aside these six weeks to discover from God's word what he says about that particular subject, that specific question, how can I overcome persistent sins? And so we began last week to study Romans chapter 6, one of the most important chapters in the Bible, a difficult chapter perhaps to understand, but a, but a key, a critical chapter in our overcoming of persistent sins. And, and we learned last week that the first steps really involve us doing three things. First, we need to know something that we have been crucified with Christ. And we talked about what that meant. I think many people just, though you've heard it preached for years, we just don't have a really good handle on what it means that we've been crucified with Christ, that we are dead to sin. We, we know that we benefit from the death of Christ in that he destroyed the penalty of sin, but we do not quite understand as much about how his death destroyed the authority of sin. And so we spent last week, most of last week, talking about what it means to be dead to sin, that we have been crucified with Christ. We must know that. We said, secondly, we must embrace something, and we must embrace the same thing that we know, that we are dead to sin. It's one thing to have an intellectual understanding of the theological principle. It's another thing when temptation comes and it presses against us for us to declare, for us to embrace the fact, I am dead to sin. Sin has no authority over me. And we talked last week from Romans chapter 6 how we can embrace the fact that we're dead to sin. And then we said the third thing uh, is something that will take us a few weeks to really uh, explain and understand and unfold. The third thing, we must dethrone something. We must not let sin reign. And so we talked a little bit about that, and I said we'll focus on it more next week, today, and we'll do so over the next, over the next few weeks. So let's just jump right into the, to the passage, Romans chapter 6. Uh, we'll repeat some of the verses we read last week because I want you to see this in context. It says in verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. So that was our focus last week. What does it mean that we are no longer enslaved to sin? We're dead to sin. Sin can, can shout at us. Sin can, can boss us. Sin can yell at us. But we're dead to sin. We're alive to Christ, dead to sin. That's the good news. Now, skip down to verse 11 that we spent much time on last week. It says, so you too consider yourselves 
dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So don't just know it, consider it, embrace it, declare I am dead to sin when temptation comes our way. And then we looked a little bit at verse 12. Let's, let's continue reading there. Therefore, therefore means because of all of the things that we've learned thus far, because we are dead to sin, therefore, because of that, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Now, the only reason we can do that is the therefore. Because we're dead to sin. If it weren't for that, that would be impossible. But because we're dead to sin, we can refuse to let sin reign. Sin is like a monarch. He is like a king sitting on the throne. But he has been stripped of his authority. But we now must be careful to remove him from, from the throne. He has no legitimate right to be on the throne. But we have to remove him. Do not let sin reign. Look at verse 13. He goes on to say, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all of the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Now, we're going to get into the details of what that means this week. Very important counsel from God's word. Look at verse 14. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. So you see here the focus changes when we get to verse 12 from what has happened to us in the past because we're children of God, if we are children of God, we have died to sin in the past. It's just from that in verse 12 to what we should now do about it. Because, therefore, we have died to sin, now we must, and it gives us these, uh, these instructions. The heart of the instructions, simple command, do not let sin reign. Now, if you think about that, there are several observations we should make. First of all, that's obvious, right? Don't let sin reign. Don't let sin push you around. You didn't need to hear a sermon to know that. You knew that before you were a Christian. You knew that before you were even exposed to God's word. Do not let sin reign in your life. That's obvious. Yet, it's impossible. I mean, let's just be honest. It's impossible, right? How many times have you said, I will not do that again? This stops now, only to see it repeated later on in your life. I've been a Christian for over 30 years. There's still such persistent sin in my life. And so while this seems like an obvious command, do not let sin reign, it seems to be an impossible command. Yet, there's hope, right? Because the Lord would not tell us to do something if it were impossible to do it. I wouldn't tell my children, pick up our house and tilt it 30 degrees and set it back down. Now, I'll, I'll tell them they need to clean the kitchen because they can clean the kitchen, but they cannot rotate the house. If I tell them something, uh, implicit in that is the belief that they are capable of doing it. And so the command, just the very command, do not let sin reign, should give us hope that we can do this. We just have to know how. Though it is unrealized. It's obvious, it seems impossible, it's hopeful. Uh, but it's unrealized in our lives. How can we uh, grow in our uh, maturity 
and not let sin reign in our lives. Well, I want to show you from these verses we've read some battle intelligence. This is a war that we're fighting. And you're going to see military language all through here. Uh, you're going to see that this is a fight that we are in. So I'm going to give you some battle intelligence. I'm going to tell you some things that you and I need to know from Scripture while we're in the midst of the battle with this persistent sin that will help us to have success. So number one that we see, battle intelligence from these verses, sin can still beat you. You know, as Christians, we are dead to sin because we are connected with the death of Christ. And when Christ died, we died with him. And we had a master, sin was our master, but when we died, he's no longer our master. Just as if a slave, an American pre-Civil War slave died, his master had no authority over him. Once he was dead, he was dead. The master could, could order him around, but to no avail, he's dead. And when we are connected with the death of Christ, we have died to sin. Sin is no longer our master. Yet, there's still the potential for sin to reign in our lives, it, it, at least temporarily, it can reign. Now, we, that's implied here just by the command. He wouldn't tell us, don't let sin reign unless what? Sin could reign in your life. I have been freed, sin has no authority over me, but if I will allow it, listen, if I will allow it, sin will continue to sit on the throne forever. For as long as I'll allow him to sit there, Sin will sit there and order me around. He has no legitimate right to be there. I am dead to sin. I am not under his authority. But he will reign if I will allow him to reign. He has no authority, listen to this, but he does have a bullhorn. And he can shout into my life, do this. You're weak here. You have no choice. He can, he can talk me into past sins because he has a bullhorn. He is loud but he has no authority. Sin can still beat us if we're not careful to dethrone sin. That's what we'll be focusing on today. If we'll allow sin to remain on the throne, we, we in a real sense nullify much of what Christ has done for us though on the cross, right? Because, because when Jesus died, we've already said he died to destroy the penalty of sin, but he also died to destroy the authority of sin. And as long as we leave sin, on the, on the throne, as long as we let it fester, metastasize in our lives, we take away uh, much of the effect of what Jesus has done for us. There's a very real possibility that we will be the dog that returns to the vomit. I know that's not a very pleasant picture. It's a biblical picture, Proverbs 26, 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so also a fool repeats his foolishness. We have been freed from the authority of sin, but if we're not careful, sin can still beat us. Remember early in my, in my ministry as a, as a pastor, uh, I invited another pastor to come in and lead a, some weekend services at the church I led. And he preached on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, and it was just this weekend focus that we were doing. And, and I knew this pastor had a lot of a lot of confidence in him, and he was a great communicator. And he, and he preached, did a great job, until he got to the last night, and he preached 
uh, on a passage of scripture, Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. Let me just read the verse to you just briefly. It says, for if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. And, and the passage goes on. It's, it's a passage that says as Christians, uh, if we go on sinning, that's, that is, uh, that, that, well, I, I can't preach the message. We don't have time for that. But he preached this message and, and he, he just wept through the whole message. He cried. He could hardly get his words out. He was up there 45 minutes and it, I mean, I mean it, was, it was half message, but it was half just watching a grown man cry for 45 minutes. And, and I didn't know, you know what, what was going on. I found out a year later uh, that during that time, the same time that he was preaching in my church, he, he was having an, an affair. And it just shook, you know, as a young pastor, I couldn't understand. It just shook me to the core. Uh, trusted him and uh, I went through it was a difficult it was a difficult thing to to understand um, he was a man who I believe thoroughly loved the Lord now his uh, not excusing in any way his his affair which disqualified him from being a pastor and, and uh, disqualified him from from what he did at my church I shouldn't you know had, had we known of course we wouldn't have uh, asked him to come in but but, but his life at that point was the story of a man who loved the Lord, but who had allowed sin to crawl back on the throne of his life. And he wanted so badly, at least on some level, we're not letting him off the hook today, but at least on some level, he wanted so badly for the sin to be gone. I mean, he wept in front of us for so long, continued the affair, but he wept for so long. He, he was a person who who I'm convinced was dead to sin, follower of Christ, but he had allowed sin to crawl back on the throne of his life. The first thing we need to know, the battle intelligence, is that we can, sin can still beat us. This should frighten us a little bit. I'm dead to sin, but that doesn't mean I am immune to sin. If I will allow sin to crawl back on the throne, sin can beat me and you. Sin can still beat us. Now, the next thing I want you to see from, from this passage is that we must battle sin. Uh, we're free from the tyranny of sin, yet the possibility, even the tendency uh, to, to resubmit to sin's authority, even though it has no legitimate authority, uh, remains. And we know that. You, you don't have to be convinced of that from, from some theological argument. You know that though you're free from sin, sin still shouts at you and you often obey. Yet it teaches us clearly here in this passage that we must battle sin. He says, do not let sin reign. We can't be casual about this. We must battle sin. And the Bible expectations are clear. Uh, Romans 8, 13, which we'll get to in a moment, says, put to death the deeds of the body. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself in godliness. Uh, one of my favorite authors uh, of many years ago, John Owen, uh, wrote a book in the 17th century that I think is the best book on this subject. It's called The Mortification of Sin. And the whole book is about Romans 8, 13. If, if you just want to turn over a page in your Bible, we'll look briefly at this verse Romans 8, 13 says, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. 
But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so uh, John Owen takes that verse that we'll talk more about in a moment and he paraphrases it like this, probably the best uh, paraphrase of that verse. You be killing sin or sin will be killing you. In fact, he goes on to prove from this verse in his, in, in his famous book that one of the signs that your faith is genuine, that, that you have an authentic relationship with Christ, is that you are battling sin. If you don't battle sin, if your attitude towards sin is so casual that you aren't in a fight with sin, then there's reason to question the genuineness of your salvation. It's interesting in this verse, Romans 8, 13, uh, the harsh language that he uses. It says in my Bible and most likely in yours that, it, that we are to put to death the deeds of the body. If you have a King James version, it'll say that we are to mortify the deeds of the body. What it tells us in the original is that we're to kill sins. We're to murder sins. We're to be in a fight with sin. Now, there are two errors that we often make when it comes to fighting sin. Number one, we ignore the presence of sin. So some people, they just surrender the ground that Christ has fought for and they allow sin to rob them of life, they just ignore it. Uh, there's reason, as uh, we've seen from Romans 8, 13, and from the uh, commentary of John Owen, there's reason to question that person's uh, salvation. But, but some people, saved or not, just ignore it. I've got sin in my life. You'll hear people say things like, well, I'm not perfect. Everybody sins. We just ignore we just ignore sin, the presence of sin. That, that is the unspiritual sounding error. And I say that because the next one's going to sound spiritual, but it's still an error. Some people just ignore sin. The other error that people make is that they give the practice of sin to the Lord. Uh, they, this is a spiritual sounding error, but it's still an error. Uh, they'll just pray and ask God to take care of their sin. And then they just have faith that God will do it. Eventually, God will straighten me out. God will fix me up. God will change me. And I'm just going to let God worry about it. I'm not going to worry about it. We, we, we just pray, oh, Lord, I've got this sin in my life, and it just continues uh, to hound me mercilessly. And so I pray you just take that away. You just change my heart. I just trust you to do that. Amen. Goodbye. See you later. And, and, and we just have a very spiritual, we call it a very spiritual approach to sin, but the Bible never counsels us to do that. The Bible does say that we should pray that the Lord will lead us away from temptation, and that is absolutely true. But the Bible never says just turn over the responsibility of our sin to God and let God take care of it. No, that goes against everything the Bible teaches. The responsibility for putting your sin to death lands squarely on your shoulders. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, of course, in a moment. Uh, but listen to this. Uh, when the Bible talks about Christians who are struggling with stealing, did you know that? That's a subject in the New Testament. Uh, and it, it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. So Paul was giving counsel to these, to, uh, these Christians, and they were stealing. And so what do you think Paul told them to do? Does Paul say uh, you, um, you should pray about your larceny? that maybe we should get some people together and 
pray that God will remove the spirit of thievery from your life? No. What does he say? You see it on the screen. Let the thief no longer steal. Don't pray about it. Stop it. We have some responsibility. We must be in the fight with sin, not just turn it over uh, and make it God's responsibility. Colossians 3.5, I could give you dozens of verses. This verse says, put to death what belongs to the earthly nature. You put it to death. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27, Paul says, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. Paul says, I am fighting with sin, fighting with sin. We are commanded to battle sin. Now, we're going to talk in a moment about your partner in the battle. There is a partner, the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's, let's don't skip over that. We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about some Bible tactics. There, there are certainly some things, uh, battle tactics rather, that we should do. But first, we must own this responsibility. He tells us in chapter 6, verse 12, what? You do not let sin reign in your life. Now, number three. Once we recognize that sin can beat us, we recognize we have a responsibility. Number three, the Holy Spirit is your fellow soldier. Now, I, I want to stay here in Romans 8, 13 for a moment and, and, and just read this again. And I want you to see the reference to the flesh. He says, because if you live according to the flesh, so you do this yourself, the flesh, that means you. So if you do it by yourself, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit, that means if the Holy Spirit is your partner, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, those are sins, then you will live. Uh, John Owen that I, I referenced earlier, he said this, a man may easier see without eyes or speak without a tongue than truly mortify one sin without the Holy Spirit. God does not do it for us. But through the Spirit, he enables us to do it. We don't fight this battle alone. Now, you might ask, a good question to ask would be, well, how exactly, Pastor, do we partner with the Spirit? And that's a good question. And that's a question, though, that's better answered when we get into the details. And so you're going to hear us talk about how to partner with the Spirit for the next four weeks. Because we're going to start marching. We're going to start fighting and battling. And, uh, and we'll talk much about the partnership of the Holy Spirit when we do that. But I couldn't skip it today. It has to be mentioned, we're fighting this battle and we are in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Now that brings us to number four. The battle is won through momentum. When, when I look at this whole six week series, focused on Romans six primarily, we look at this whole Romans six series, there, there are two main points. Uh, there, there are two keys to, to, to this being a reality in your life. One, we covered last week, you're dead to sin. I'm convinced most people don't know that. You've heard it preached, you've heard it taught, but there's just something about really wrapping our arms around that. You have to know you're dead to sin. The second really important principle is this one. The battle is won through momentum. And I think a lot of people don't know this. So let's put on our thinking caps and go back to Romans chapter 6 and, and let's see if we can figure out the role of momentum. If we're actually ever going to overcome persistent sins, what is the role of momentum? So we've, we've referenced verse 12 over and over. Do not let sin reign in your, in your body. Look at verse 13 now. 
He says, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. And let's just stop there for a moment. He says, don't offer parts of your body to sin because if you do, they will become weapons of unrighteousness. What does that mean? Well, the parts of your body, that means your hands and your eyeballs. It means your time. It means your resources. It means your money. It means your job. It means your your personality. It means everything about you, everything you have any control over, the words that you say, uh, everything. If you offer that to sin, you, you offer parts of your body, parts of your life. If you offer it to sin, it says that those will become enemies for unrighteousness. So Satan will take what you offer. You use your voice for sin. You use your time for sin. You use your eyes for sin. You use your focus for sin. The the enemy will take that and he will use it as a weapon of unrighteousness to take you further into sin. Does that make sense? You give him a little bit, he takes what you give him and he uses that against you. Imagine that you're in a that you're in a fight with somebody, you know, maybe a, a shoot 'em up fight. You're a soldier and you're and, and you're battling in the jungle with the enemy. And then the enemy calls out, listen, wait a minute, I'm out of bullets. And you say, Well, I've got some extra, have my bullets. Now that'd be a crazy soldier, right? But that's what we do when we sin. We're offering parts of us as to sin. And it says here then that the enemy takes those and turns them into weapons of unrighteousness, takes us further into sin, which then we offer more of our bodies. We give him more bullets and he uses those bullets against us. Then we give him more bullets. Now we continue to read. He says the opposite next. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. So the opposite is true as well. If you offer parts of you, your time, your focus, your energy, what you read, what you watch, you offer parts of you, your hands, feet, eyes, to to, to righteousness, to the Lord, then God will take those things and he will use them to take you even further into righteousness. So this is a picture of sanctification and it's a picture of momentum. If you offer your parts to sin, you will go further and further and further. The momentum will build and you'll be sucked further into sin. But if you offer your parts, we'll see more specifically what those are in a moment, to the Lord, then you will go further and further and further into righteousness. That's the work of the, of the Holy Spirit. Now skip down to verse 19. And I want you to see, he says essentially the same thing again. He says, I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness. Now you see that? You offered yourselves to impurity and what did that lead to? Greater and greater lawlessness. It's getting worse, it's worse, and it's getting worse, right? You see the momentum? You're just going down and you're going faster towards sin. Greater and greater lawlessness. So... Now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in your sanctification. Sanctification, a fancy religious word that means you're overcoming persistent sins. That you're walking closer, more faithfully to and with, uh, with the Lord. Listen, we do not, please listen to this. We do not 
overcome sins by trying harder and by making, listen, some gigantic, over-the-top commitment. Have you ever seen somebody do that? Have you ever done it? Every one of us. There's some sin and we say, I promise, I promise, I will never do that again. In all my life, I will never do that again. Listen, that's not the biblical path to sanctification. You never find that in scripture. That's, that, that makes sense to us, but, but that's never the biblical path. The biblical path is this path of momentum that we offer ourselves to God and then that leads to something else and that leads to something else and the Holy Spirit is maturing us and changing us day by day by day. You know, the problem with the old-fashioned revival, sanctification, and a lot of you are old enough to remember, and, I, and I've, I've done this in churches I've pastored, and, and there's nothing wrong, so a lot of good things have come from this, but, but, but I can remember 20 years ago, we did two revivals a year. Did you do that? Two revivals a year, and like I said, I, many people come to know Christ in those revivals, and those are wonderful things, but, but we would have these revivals where we would bring in these really powerful communicators, and they, they could you know pound, and they could yell, and they could just get you all in a frenzy, and, and people, Christians would make these big commitments. They would come to the pastor. Some, some churches, they'd share it with the whole church, but they would come at least to the pastor and they'd say, listen, I'm, I've been in some grave sin, pastor. I, I'm convicted about, and they'll say something, but I, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord, and I will never do that again. I'm just, I want you to know, pastor, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm, I'm, I'm changing. I, I will never do that again. But the problem, that's more about what you can do than it is about what the Lord can do. That's never a biblical pattern of sanctification. No, it's, it, it's different from that. I'll tell you another way that, that you see that happen. Somebody will get caught in a sin. And so they're caught in some sin that's, a, that's embarrassing sin. Uh, maybe it's a catastrophic sin. And, and maybe you've been here. And, and, and you make a commitment, I will never do that again. And when you make that commitment, do you mean it? Absolutely you mean it. Does it last? Never lasts. That method is all about what you can do. Sanctification is about partnering with the Holy Spirit and forming some momentum-giving, Holy Spirit-enabled habits that change us a little bit by little bit by little bit. Real change happens when we declare that we are free from the tyranny of sin because we're dead to sin. We partner with the Holy Spirit and we start offering our parts to God. And he takes that and he takes us another step. And he takes that and he takes us, takes us another step. Now, what are those habits? What are those things we have to do? Uh, what is he talking about when he says, offer your parts to God? Well, we're going we're gonna to get to those, but, but let, me show you, let me show this to you one more way and then we'll get to what the habits are. Every sin reinforces a habit and takes you further into sin. I mean, we've made that point, you understand that. And what we end up doing is we end up training ourselves to be sinners. You know, just like you can train yourself to be good at your job or, or maybe an athlete will train himself, train herself to be able to, uh, you know, shoot the hoops or, or whatever, some, some uh, some skill, somebody, if you work at it long enough, you can get good at it, right? Now, here's what we've done. We have trained ourselves to be better sinners. 
And you know what I mean by better sinners. I mean, worse sinners, I, mean, I guess we should say. But, but, but I mean, some people, you, I mean, we've just trained ourselves to be really good at sin. I can think of a couple of sins for me. I'm afraid I've just gotten really, really good at those sins. Can you think of some? We train ourselves to become experts at sin. Now, let me show you a verse that I, I've stumbled across in the last two or three weeks. And I've read this and you've read this, but I've never noticed a phrase in this verse that perhaps you've not noticed. It's in 2 Peter 2.14. It says, they have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people. And here's the, here's the next part. And have hearts trained in greed. Now, what does it mean trained in greed? That's the same word uh, that, that Paul uses in other places to refer to an athlete who is trained to be an athlete. And the way it reads in the NIV, it says they are experts in greed. What it tells us is that if you continue to sin in a certain way, you become expert at that. Some people are experts at greed. Some people are experts at lust. Some people are experts at materialism or pornography or anger or gossip. I mean, you name the sin, we can become experts in that. But what does the Bible say? 1 Timothy 4, 7, everybody should know this verse. Train yourself in godliness. So we can train ourselves in sin and we'll become really good at it. But how do we overcome sin? We train. How long does it take to train? How does it take? If you want to run a marathon, you can't just, uh, you know, have a good hearty breakfast and stretch and go. It, it takes a little more training than that. It takes some time. Well, we, we, we have worked really hard to get really good at sin. If we're going to change, we've got to work really hard in partnership with the Holy Spirit to get really good at, at following the Lord. We have been training in the wrong direction. We have become expert sinners. It's time to train in, in a different direction. The way forward is not to make some giant over-the-top decision. Now, certainly, we should, it should be our goal to never sin again. But you will not overcome your persistent sin just by making some dramatic, I will never do it again promise. Because that's about you. But you will overcome persistent sin. I will overcome persistent sin if I offer the parts of my body, these spirit-enabled habits so that the Holy Spirit can change me. Now, what are the habits? Well, let me tell you one more thing, and I'm gonna tell you the habits. I'm trying to build some uh, anticipation. Uh, there are two things we need to know about the habits, and I'll be very quick with this. Uh, but first of all, they, they must not, we must not embrace mere human commands. And, and, and I won't read the passage to you, I'm running out of time, but you might just note Colossians 2, 20 through 23. The Bible says when Whatever these habits are, they have to come from Scripture. We can't just get them out of a book. It can't just be what some, some man stood up here and said. Whatever these habits are, they have to be assigned by God, not, uh, not just some, some worldly habit. We have to be careful about that. And then letter B, uh, they must, we must become, not become, whitewashed tombs. And again, I'll just give you the reference, uh, Matthew 23, 27 through 28. Jesus talks about... Uh, the Pharisees, and they, they were really good at some of these habits, but they were doing them so people would be impressed with them. Our, our goal can never be what people see on the outside, but it has to be real change, God-honoring change on the inside. So what are the habits? Well, over the next four weeks, I want to share with you four, and you know there'll be part A, part B, part C, so maybe a little bit more than four, depending on how you count it. But I want to share with you four 
God prescribed, Holy Spirit enabled, promised habits that will bring sanctification. These aren't just things that I say will bring sanctification. I'm going to show you with each one that the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit will partner with you in this habit if it's done the biblically prescribed way and it will lead uh, to real change. And here's what they are. Uh, Bible meditation, and, and, and these aren't going to be unfamiliar to you, but, but perhaps in the next weeks we'll learn some things we've not known before. But biblical meditation, daily prayer, intentional fasting, and community. And I'll, I'll tell you in a few weeks what, what we mean by that. These are spiritual disciplines. They are holy habits that enable the Holy Spirit to build moment, the momentum of change in our lives. And over the next four weeks we're going to learn Learn to embrace these. Now, let, let me show you just, just one thing that I mentioned last week, uh, and I want to close with this. I read to you a couple of verses, quotes of Christ uh, that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. They, they reject these because they just don't square with what we experience. So let me share them with you again. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make it restful. And then in verse 30, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does that say? You put those verses together. It says that following Christ is restful, and following his commands, his yoke is easy, and the burden is light. Now, what do you think when you read those? I think, ooh. Um, Jesus didn't, wasn't looking at me when he said that because I, I butt my head up against these persistent sins and it's hard. And I pray and I promise and I pray and I promise and it's hard. What does he mean? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Well, let me share with you the verse that's in between. So last week I shared with you verse 28 and verse 30, but we skipped verse 29. Let me read that to you. Verse 29, take up my yoke, he says, that's follow my commands, and learn from me. Now, let's just stop there and, and notice the word learn. It, it doesn't say discover. You can discover something just like that, right? You, you, you drink some milk and it's sour milk. How long does it take you to figure that out? I mean, just like you discover, it's sour milk. But to learn something, you take calculus you don't just discover it. You don't just, oh, calculus, I got that. No, you have to learn it. It takes time. So he says, learn from me. He, he says that it takes some momentum. It's going to take some time. It's a slow process. You got to be committed to it. He says, take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart. And you will find, it's as if you then will find rest. See, the reason why living the Christian life is so hard for some of us is we're trying to do it all by ourselves. I will change. I will fix me. I will never sin again. I will, I will, I will, I will. And, 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 and we're trying to discover the sanctification when he says, no, if, if you'll just, if you'll learn from me, if, if you'll take this long, slow walk with me, you will discover that my, my burden is light and my yoke is, is easy. You know, this isn't the only time that Jesus says to take up something. He, he said in that verse, 
take up my yoke and learn from me. Take my commands and, and learn, begin to go down this thing. But there's another verse where Jesus says to take up something. Listen to this, Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So here he says, take up your cross. In the earlier verse, he says, take my yoke. But, but he adds a word here. He says, daily. How can we overcome persistent sins? It is a daily walk of learning and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. Now, I, I wish we could cover all of this in just one sitting, but you wouldn't sit there for that long. So we're, we're stretching it out over six weeks. But let me give you an assignment today because I'm gonna tell you how, how the Holy Spirit will partner with you in these four habits. We're gonna learn that over the next four weeks if the Lord allows. But let me ask you today, let's do something daily. Jesus says, walk with me daily, take up your cross daily, take up my yoke and learn. What, what should we do? Would you this week just commit to walking daily in one of these four things? Every day, between now and next Sunday, you just pick one of the four things off this list. If you don't know what one is, then don't pick that one, okay? And just do one of these a day. Maybe you'll do Bible meditation the best you know how. You're just going to do it every day. And in seven days, and we come back, we're going to learn a lot about it next week. Or maybe you're going to go back and forth between two or three. That's, that's fine. But it's a daily walk. Let's start the walk. Let's start down that pathway today. We'll figure out some more things as we go. But Jesus says, take up my yoke daily. Learn. And the Holy Spirit will change you. You offer your parts to God. And he will lead you to sanctification, to overcoming your persistent sins. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed. Father, this excites me. As I've studied this, especially over the last month, I, 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 I am, I'm genuinely excited by what I learned in Romans 6. Because I have persistent sins that I am tired of, that I am frustrated with. And I know that this will be a lifelong battle and it's not a switch I can turn and live a perfect life. But I see a way, a Holy Spirit enabled way to change. And I want to experience that for your glory and your honor. And I know it starts with a daily walk in some of these habits. Help me this week to be faithful every day to do one of these four things and to look forward with anticipation for how I can embrace them all and experience the life-changing impact of the Holy Spirit in my life. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.